ask that we uh, run towards the new and the better that you have for us, that we leave uh, the things that are holding us back, the things that we're holding on to, the things that have made us angry, maybe the things that have made us hurt, the things that have made us sick, to realize you are calling us to a life of new. I pray that we all have uh, the faith to trust you, to trust what you have for us, that you want what is good and better and greater than anything that we could ever imagine for ourselves. Father, I pray this morning as we hear Pastor Joe's message that we hear about our brother who came so many years before us and how he was uh, trusting and counting on you to be faithful to your word and to your promise. I pray the same thing uh, holds true for us with open ears and open hearts uh, this morning to hear that word anew in our lives today. In the name of your son, amen. You may be seated. I would have done a drum roll, but I think everybody yeah. knows you're back. Yeah. So, just real quick before we get started, it's, it's good to be back. Um, I want you to know something. So, when we were in London, we had an opportunity just one Sunday to visit Hillsong in London. I'm just going to tell you, our musicians, our band, is every bit as good as what they have. They're amazing. And I'm just... I'm not saying that for marketing purposes. I'm saying that because they really are. Uh, and I'm very thankful. <clears throat> um, saw a lot of really old things in London. I thought Al was old. I mean, it's, <laughs> wow. You're like a teenager compared to them castles, Al. It's pretty amazing. So, But it's good for us to be back. Uh, we haven't preached on the life of Joseph in a month. We had uh, Easter. Then Pastor Daryl came back for a visit, and then uh, we were gone for two weeks, and, and I heard Megan did a great... I got text messages during the second service. You better get back soon. Megan's going to take your job. You better, you know, she heard she did great. So, But we're going to get back into this series called Surviving Egypt. And as you know, if you haven't been here, or if you, in case you forgot, Egypt is a metaphor for the world. Egypt is a metaphor for what we are doing, what we are living with in the world around us today and how hard it can be sometimes. So that's what Egypt is. And so the idea of surviving in Egypt is the idea of how we as God's children survive in the world. This is week nine of the series, and I've titled this one Serving in Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. So the next two weeks, we're going to be talking a little bit about a story within the life of Joseph about dreams. And they say that everyone dreams whether you know it or not. Some people remember their dreams and some people don't. Sometimes these dreams are scary. We call them nightmares. Sometimes they're just strange or bizarre. Um, sometimes they're pleasant. And what science, we live in an age of science now. And <clears throat> excuse me, what science teaches us is that dreams are a way of Dealing with reality. It's symbolically processing our life experiences, our fears, our anxieties, our hopes, our desires. And that's what dreams are. But in Joseph's day, they did not understand dreams that way. In Joseph's day, every culture seemed to consider dreams as a connection to the supernatural world. They were considered in many ways a gift from the gods. 
as a glance into the future. And often scripture tells us how God takes advantage of that cultural, non-scientific misunderstanding of what dreams are. And he actually uses them for revelation. But today, I don't want to focus too much on the dreams in the passage. That would actually be a distraction to the actual spiritual component to what we learn in this passage in Genesis today. Today, I want to focus on how Joseph, who what we learned early on had a special gift when it came to dreams, becomes a humble, compassionate servant. How Egypt, surviving in it, gave him the maturity, gave him the heart, gave him the mind, and quite frankly, the actual opportunity for selfless, humble service to God and others. So with that, let's read the passage today from Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 8. Sometime after this, after this means when Joseph was running the prison. Remember, he was put there for being falsely accused of rape. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined and, frankly, where Joseph was running the show. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and Joseph attended to them. And they continued for some time in custody. We don't know how long that is, weeks, months, years, we don't know. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker, they dreamed of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, I can imagine they got up and the guy said, man, I had a terrible dream. Me too. What was yours about? Oh, it's horrible. What about yours? And they're talking about it. Remember, they thought these were connections to the supernatural world. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. Don't forget that. He saw this. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody in the master's house, why are your faces downcast today? We see a compassionate Joseph here. And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And interpreters of dreams were very important in that day. And there weren't very many of them in prison. Who cares about a prisoner's dream? And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Tell me your dreams. So let's look at the historical application of this passage. I want to talk about the humble servant. First of all, I want you to see there is sovereign trouble. Let me explain what I mean. God is clearly in charge here in this situation. The cupbearer and the baker have done something wrong. And both of them are in big, big trouble. Now, they probably didn't try to kill Pharaoh because if they did, you know, those are people that could do it, right? The cupbearer and the baker. If they'd have done that, then they would have been put to death already. So it was something else. Maybe they served a bad dish. Maybe the bread was stale. Maybe the wine was not good. I don't Maybe they spilt wine on his new you know, robe or something. Something happened, and Pharaoh was upset. But these, understand, these are people, the, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, these are people who would have seen Pharaoh every day. These would be some of the most familiar, trusted people in Pharaoh's life. If anyone could take the king out, it's the cupbearer. There is no doubt that whatever they did, God's sovereign hand had played a role. 
And of all the prisons, they were put in the one where Joseph is running the place. So this is what's going on. I want you to understand this is not some random event. This is sovereign God intervening. And the next thing we see is they are at this point very vulnerable and they are impressionable. Let me explain. Everything that these men had relied upon their whole adult life for security is now at stake. Like never before, they are now vulnerable and teachable. The circumstances that they had become accustomed to is this. We live in the palace. We are right next to the king. We are, people were jealous of the fact that these guys talked with the king every day. They had no worry about food, clothing, housing. Their family was secure. They were not poor people. Everything that they had put their confidence in for comfort is now at risk. Their circumstances have made them desperate. Even for help from a convicted Jewish rapist. Who wasn't guilty, by the way. He was just convicted of a crime he didn't do. But emotionally, I want you to understand, these two guys are in a very vulnerable state. They are humbled they are looking for comfort. They are desperate for hope. If anyone was open to learning about Joseph's God, it would have been them. Would you agree? I mean, this is where they are right now. And what's happening is they're having prison nightmare. I mean, prison is a nightmare on its own. You're awake and it's a nightmare. Then you go to sleep and you have more nightmares. Horrible. They have these dreams that trouble them. And I told you earlier, Egyptians believed dreams were predictive. And in their current state, you can understand why they would want to know what something meant in a dream. I mean, Egyptians had a whole group of specially trained people that were a college, a school of dream interpreters. As a matter of fact, archaeology has revealed that many volumes of literature had been written by Egyptians on dreams and interpreting them. These are important things in their culture. There are no trained interpreters in prison. So between their culture and their current desperate situation, you could understand why they would be troubled with uncertainty. And then here comes Joseph. <clears throat> I want to talk about how he is serving in Egypt. Imagine the picture. Here's what I want you to see. Joseph's in charge of looking after these guys, and these are, you know, pretty high-profile prisoners. Imagine the picture of Joseph comforting these two men with tenderness, compassion, love. He notices their worry. He sees, why is your... I mean, they're in prison, so their face was probably downtrodden anyway. But he's even more downtrodden that day. Why are you guys so sad? He knows their story. He knows it's possible the cupbearer may have been falsely accused just like he was. Because later on we learn the cupbearer was restored. The baker, eh, not so much. So Joseph can empathize a little bit with these guys that are in prison. This enables him, Joseph, with all that he's gone through, this enables him to have empathy for those suffering a similar plight as his own. He has been given, because of his time in Egypt, understand church, he has been given eyes to see their pain. 
And Joseph, because of this, has a willingness to serve. It's an indication that he has been given the gift of faith from God. And he has this spiritual humility that has come from suffering and surviving in Egypt, something that only a child of God could understand. Remember, Joseph doesn't have the hindsight like we do to know that these guys would be his path out of the prison into running Egypt. He doesn't know that. All he knows is, I'm running the prison. This is probably as good as it's going to get. He has no expectation of further comfort. He has no expectation that helping these guys will change his complete entire lot in life. He has been living with this false accusation in a prison for at least eight years. Yet somehow he has escaped selfish bitterness, anger, and resentment. He's not a victim. He's not a prisoner to victimhood. Joseph knows, even with all that, that his God is with him and that there is a higher purpose for him suffering in Egypt than selfish bitterness or self-preservation. And Joseph explicitly declares that interpretations of dreams come from his God, by God's inspiration. And so what does Joseph do? He stumbles upon, he trips over this powerful, uniquely designed opportunity to glorify the power of his God by serving others who are hurting. And he says, please, tell me your dreams. That's the history. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? You know, the fact of the matter is, Joseph needed Egypt. Desperately. I mean, comfortable Joseph wasn't ready. Let me explain what I mean by comfortable Joseph. Let's go back just a bit for context, okay? Early on in this story, we learned that Joseph had this special ability to understand dreams and what they meant and how God used dreams as a form of revelation. But before Egypt, when he was comfortable, when he was honored by his father, when he was the favorite son, when he was living in wealth, he didn't really understand how to use this special talent that he had. When Joseph was a kid, he used this God-given skill unwisely, arrogantly, recklessly. Remember when he told his brothers, who were already jealous and already hated him, listen guys, I know you hate me, but I had a dream last night. One day I'm going to run the show. You're going to bow down to me and worship me as your king. Well, of course, that was true. But look at the result of Joseph's immaturity in using his God-given gifts. In Genesis 37, 8 through 10, it just says this. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you in need indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more than they did before because of his dreams and his words about the dreams. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another one. Behold, the sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, Dude, what is your problem? What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed all come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? See, that was comfortable, Joseph. Do you see the difference? 
all these talents and gifts he had as a young man, they remained misguided, undeveloped, and dangerous while he was growing up privileged in favor and in comfort. But God uses Egypt in Joseph's life. Can you imagine where Joseph would be spiritually without slavery and prison? Just imagine what kind of man he would be had he never suffered in slavery and in prison. Because, guys, Joseph, Joseph needed to be prepared physically, emotionally, and spiritually to use his talents for a higher purpose. As hard as life was in Egypt, he desperately needed Egypt if he was going to learn how, get this, serve God. For Joseph to learn how to actually serve the God that he loved, he needed to live in Egypt for a while. And all along, from slavery to false, accusa- uh, false accusation to prison, God is molding and shaping his character and guiding his steps to this very moment. So while comfortable Joseph wasn't ready, God uses Egypt and suffering Joseph was fully prepared. Surviving in Egypt had given Joseph clear eyes to see how his gifts and his talents and his skills were from God for God. All that God had allowed to happen to him brought him to this opportunity, this mindset, this willingness, this wisdom, this point in his life. He had eyes for the pain of others and for God's plan. And God's purpose instead of just his own. Egypt had changed him. As evil and hard as it was, prison had made him a humble, gentle, compassionate servant of God that enabled him to have a massive impact selflessly on strangers. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Joseph needed Egypt. So let's go to the personal side. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this story? I want to talk about what Egypt and faith combined equals, what it yields, what it gives us. But before I say that, let me just explain that without the gift of faith, the pain of living in Egypt and Living in Egypt does bring pain. I think all of you could understand that. There are times where things are comfortable, but Egypt is not designed to maintain comfort. we got to fight hard to stay comfortable in Egypt. There's so many things our families struggle with. And without the gift of faith, the pain that surviving in Egypt can bring will leave us one of two ways. It'll either leave us living a life motivated by the pursuit of selfish comfort and pleasure, or it will leave us paralyzed with bitterness, guilt, or anger. And we can spend, frankly, because of how hard Egypt is, without the gift of faith, even sometimes with it, we can spend years in victimhood that hinders us from seeing the pain of others and keeps us from a willingness to serve them selflessly. Why should I serve others in pain? I got my own pain to deal with. I've got my own Egyptian bullcrap to deal with. I want my own justice for me. But with the gift of faith, listen carefully. 
Ultimately, surviving in Egypt will always result in kingdom agents equipped with the following tools. The first one is gratitude. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? But when a child of faith suffers in Egypt, it's ironic that the gift of faith allows us to see suffering as something that drives us to be thankful for God's presence in our life. That's because faith enables us to see how things make us more like Christ. In James, uh, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. In other words, I'm thankful for Egypt. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In James chapter 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the first thing that Egypt plus faith brings is gratitude, thankfulness. It doesn't seem logic, does it? I'm so thankful in these times of suffering in Egypt because they reveal the presence of God in my life. You know what else faith and Egypt together gives you? Purified motives. So this was my uh, uh, social media campaign this week. God's people will be motivated by something far greater than recognition, reward, or altruistic feelings. See, many times people can do good things, but it's so hard to know when our motives are pure, even if we don't do it for money or recognition. There's something that it also gives us a good feeling sometimes to serve. But God's people can serve others even outside of those things. And Egypt, combined with the gift of faith, will purify our motives for serving God and for others. Does that make sense? It purifies them. Our motivation becomes something far greater than self-preservation. Far greater than recognition. It becomes something much more important than reward or those altruistic feelings that we get when we do something nice for someone else. Frankly, those are all selfish motives for using your talents to serve others. Frankly, it's the natural motivation. Humanly speaking, that was what young Joseph did. But Egypt plus faith, you know what it does? It creates eyes that can see eternal consequences that make earthly ones far less important. See, Joseph was still unjustly imprisoned and had no way of knowing that serving his fellow prison mates with his talents would result in his eventual elevation to Pharaoh's house. He had no idea. He wasn't saying, man, if I could just do this, I will run Egypt one day. Yet what he did was compassionately anonymously serve the cupbearer because God had used Egypt plus faith to create in Joseph a righteous motivation. The next thing it gives us is eyes for God's plan. See, faith gives us eyes to see beyond your own little pitiful world into an eternal one with all of its implications and impacts. We begin to see survival in Egypt not just to fulfill our own destiny 
and our own desires, but we see our survival in Egypt as a process that we must go through to be a part of God's plan. It is part of this verse in Ephesians 2.10. Many of you know my favorite chapter in the Bible, Ephesians 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, that's the survival part, created in Christ Jesus, that's the faith part, for good works, that's the prison part, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, we should trip over, just like Joseph did in the prison. Can you see how this truth in Ephesians was at work while Joseph was suffering in Egypt? Because what happens is faith gives us eyes that see redemption. Even as Egypt's hardship and humiliation and desperation rage around us, just as it did for Christ. So here's my question for you. Are you serving in Egypt? We know that God uses Egypt and faith to gently mold and prepare his children to serve him to our greatest potential. If we have been given the gift of faith, surviving in Egypt will do for us, it will do for us what it did for Joseph. This is the only outcome, because faith always wins. Faith takes what Egypt dishes out and uses it to make us what we need to be for the kingdom service to others. From surviving cancer, dealing with physical illness, to losing a loved one, to struggling with addiction and recovery, to financial ruin and burden, being victimized by others, the list goes on and on. All those things together Egypt plus faith enables us to survive and bring us to a place of humble service we never could have been at otherwise. If we all just were born and grew up with no problems, our service to others would be horrible. We become effective, skilled, wise motivated, willing servants for the cause of God's kingdom and God's plan. Imagine with me how bad of a pastor I would be without Egypt and faith. Now I know what you're thinking. <laughs> but it's true. God has used Egypt and the suffering in it, plus faith in our family's life, to make us better servants, to make me a better pastor. He's using it in my family even now. How is Egypt impacting you? Are you focused on trying hard to extract as much comfort and enjoyment for your family as possible from Egypt? Is Egypt making you self-focused, bitter, angry, Obsessed with getting your version of justice for yourself and everyone else around you? That's Egypt without faith. Or has Egypt plus faith given you eyes that see redemption, have compassion, and enable you to serve, even serving while you are suffering? 
Hearts and eyes that are always searching for opportunities to use what Egypt has taught us to benefit others. Church, if you have been given the gift of faith, surviving in Egypt will no doubt result in humble, compassionate kingdom service to those God brings into your life by his design, by his sovereign hand, just as he did with Joseph while he was still in prison. So my heart for you today is this. You know, we like to get serious and raw at Grace Life. We don't want to sugarcoat things and, and, you know, leave you always, everything's always joyful and roses. That's just not Egypt, right? That's not Egypt. Egypt sucks. But guys, I got to tell you something. You need it if you want to learn how to serve God. If you ain't got no Egypt, you ain't got no service. You need Egypt and faith so that we can do what God has called us to do. Heavenly Dad, I'm just so thankful that while we are trying to survive in Egypt, you bring circumstances and people into our lives that mold us and shape us. And somehow you give us the ability, even in the midst of the burden of surviving in this tough place we call the world, you make us servants. You make us mouthpieces for redemption and love and joy and compassion and grace in ways we could never do if life were just a resort. So in that respect, we do count it all joy that we fall into these difficult times because it's making us perfect. Not perfect without mistakes, but perfect for what you have called us to do.